Well, this morning our story comes from the book of Numbers. I don't get to say that very often. We don't usually preach out of the book of Numbers. But as we read this story, you'll see why it's appropriate for today based on the reading that Donald gave us from the book of John just a few moments ago. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God. They, the children of Israel, traveled from Mount Ohort along the route of the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. May God bless the word of God. This is an old tin can. I don't know how old the can is, and I don't really know how old the contents are. It's hard to get it open. But what's in this can are marbles. These marbles we can trace back in our history at least to the mid-1800s. They've been handed down from generation to generation. And uh, we don't know how long they go back, but uh, they're special to me because they're a tie. They're a tie to past generations in my family, Uh, to my dad, to my grandfather, to my dad's grandfather, my great-grandfather who gave them to my dad. And like I said, we don't really know where the great-grandfather got them, but it's just probably the oldest thing in our family that keeps being handed down. Now, things like this are important. Because as time goes by, we of the older generation begin to think, what is it that we're going to pass down to the next generations? And those of us maybe who are in those middle generations who are beginning to receive things from parents and grandparents that were once near and dear to their hearts, and we take those objects and we want to be good custodians of them, And we think about, well, what is it that I am going to be passing down then? And you young folks, it's not too early to start thinking about what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to produce that can be then handed on down to generations? Now, normally when we think in terms like this, we may think of something like an old can of marbles. Or we usually think in terms of money, you know, can I get enough wealth together that I can bless my kids and my grandkids and pass it on down. But this story, I think, kind of changes that way of thinking. 
This story calls upon us to realize that the greatest gift that we have to pass to future generations is our faith and our faithful walk with God. This story in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, stands at the end of what is commonly referred to as the murmuring stories or the complaining stories. It seems like almost as soon as the children of Israel left Egypt, had crossed the Red Sea, got to Mount Sinai, they began to complain. Complain and complain and complain. Now, those of you who know your Old Testament well know what some of those complaints were about. They didn't like the food. They didn't have enough food. They didn't have enough water. Sometimes the water was bitter. Then they got to where they were going and they complained because the people were too big that they were supposed to conquer. The cities were walled up together. They accused Moses of being egotistical. They accused Moses of being a tyrant. And on and on their list of complaints grew. And in each case, the solution that was offered in the face of danger and problems, was let's go back to Egypt. As we read these stories, that phrase comes up more and more. We're out here, we don't like what's going on, let's go back to Egypt. It seems like the let's go back to Egypt committee was always meeting. And each time that that was brought out into the open, The children of Israel suffered. They suffered for their lack of faith. Now, as I said, this story is the last in that series of stories. After this, the complaining seems to go away. And so it calls upon us to ask why. What happened in this story that changed that and changed that attitude? Well, let's begin reading again in verses 4 and 5. Where the people have left Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, which was not the most direct way to the promised land, by the way. And you know that caused some murmuring and some complaining. And it says, and the people became impatient along the way. So they spoke against God, they spoke against Moses and said, why had you brought us up out of the land of Egypt? You know, Egypt just looks so good again. You know, they, they talk about that often, how they had enough food. and Yeah, it wasn't perfect, but it was really the good old days. Let's go back to the good old days in Egypt. For today, it's just awful. He said, there's no food, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. And what was the miserable food they were so sick of? Manna. <laughs> you know, we think of manna, wow, the gift of God, this sweet bread that, that came to the people on a daily basis. But no longer was that good enough. As I read this part of the story, and I ask the question, why is it that this particular story changed things? It occurs to me that this story happens right in the middle of their journey. As the older generation is beginning to fade away and the newer generation is rising. 
And as I realized that, as I realized that as this story happens, and it's kind of the handing off of the control and the leadership from the old guard to the new guard, I take that as a warning and a challenge to those of us in the older generation. Those of us who are getting ready to pass the baton. Those of us who realize that our term of leadership is about over. And here's the challenge that I hear in this. We as an older generation have so much to offer. We have so much to give. Just like that older generation back in this time in the wilderness wanderings. These are the guys who when Moses had come and said, God says that we're to get together and get out of Egypt, they're the ones that packed their bags. They believed it. They had that kind of faith. And when they got to the Red Sea and Moses said, we're going to go through the sea, they got up and they walked through the sea. They did so many amazing things. And they had so much faith that they could share. The older generation has an opportunity to show what a lifetime of faith can produce. The older generation has the opportunity to show what life looks like when it's been lived with the Lord. I think of a verse in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, where the Hebrew writer is commending the younger people, the new generation. Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of the Lord to you. Consider the outcome of their lives. Whoa, do you hear what he's saying? You young folks, look at these older folks and look at what faith has done in their lives. And then the writer goes on to encourage them, you imitate their faith. Do you hear the challenge in that, my generation? Do you hear? That the younger folks are looking, we've got to show them why it benefits all and what it does when we live faithfully before the Lord. But the warning is we must never become the let's go back to Egypt generation. We must never become the generation that lives in fear. We must never begin be the generation that lives in the past. Our cry to the younger generation is the Lord has blessed us. The Lord has led us to this point. And our faith is that the Lord will bless you and the Lord will lead you on. So this story brings me to those conclusions. And I have to just stop and say, wow, what are we saying? But let's get back to the story. The punishment in this case for the faithfulness of the people or the faithlessness of the people was poisonous snakes in the camp. Venomous snakes biting the people. The people are suffering and dying. Now that sounds kind of strange, but hang with me going to be a good point. These snakes are going around, they're biting people, people are dying, and so the people once again in mass come to Moses as they had done countless other times and said, we're sorry, 
We should have never spoken against the Lord. We should have never spoken against you. Would you pray for us? And Moses, once again, if you've read the stories, time after time, Moses goes to God, intercedes for the people, and says, Lord, we need your help. And this time the Lord does something a little differently. The Lord says, okay, you make a bronze snake, or you make a snake and put it on a pole. Put that pole with that snake on it in the middle of the camp, And anytime someone is bitten by one of these venomous snakes, if they will make their way to that pole and look up and look at that pole, they'll be healed. They'll be saved. Now, that's interesting on several fronts. First of all, it's interesting that he takes an image of the death and makes it an image of life, doesn't he? He doesn't take away the snakes. He doesn't say, okay, boom, all the snakes are gone. The snakes are still there. And he takes an image of the very thing that's killing them and says, now if you will look at this snake, you'll be healed. That's interesting. And the other interesting thing is that for the first time, he doesn't seem to accept this blanket confession of the people. Always in the past, Some of the representatives of the people came to Moses and would say, we're all sorry. Well, obviously, by the way they kept repeating the same mistakes, not all of them were that sorry. They had kind of taken a vote. Okay, who wants to confess and repent? And they had counted the vote, said, okay, 52% of us want to repent and confess, so therefore we'll send the, so it's kind of an immense thing. But here in this story, it becomes very personal. Who are the people that will continue? The people who personally have faith in God. Those ones, when they are bitten, have a decision to make. All right, am I going to trust that what God said about this bronze snake on this pole in the middle, am I going to trust that? Am I going to trust that God will really heal me of this? You couldn't send a representative. You couldn't say, well, the majority of us, one by one, they made their way to that pole. And one by one, they looked up at the snake that God had placed there through Moses. One by one, they said, I'm sorry. One by one, they received life. It's kind of easy to see why this wasn't a problem after that, isn't it? Because only the people who were truly of faith continued on from there. Now, one reason we look at this story today, and this story remains important to us when many of the stories of the Exodus kind of fade into the back parts of our memory and we don't think about them very often. The reason that we do think about this story is because Jesus, when he was talking to Nicodemus, He used this story to explain himself and what faith in him looked like. Donald read this from John chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Normally when we begin this reading, where do we begin? John chapter 3, verse 16. John 3, 16 is one of our favorite passages in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. But if we back up to verse 14, Jesus explains 
some of the benefits or what some of the understanding of what that was all about. Do you remember what the passage said? Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Here is our opportunity. We're all snake bit. We're all dying. Will we make our way to the pole? Will we make our way to where Jesus has been lifted up? Will we look to him for our life? Now, it's interesting that this figure of Jesus being lifted up is interpreted in several ways in the Bible. What does it mean that Jesus was lifted up and all those who come and look at him would live? Well, certainly the first image that comes to our mind is the image of the cross, isn't it? We see just as that bronze snake somehow was on that pole and up there and people looked at it, we think of the cross. And that is one of the ways in which Jesus was lifted up. And when we make our way to the cross, we see there what death looks like. We see there what is the penalty for sin. We see there where lives of rebellion lead someone. For that's what the cross was all about. In our thinking of the cross, it's become so sanitized. We wear gold crosses around our neck. We decorate our houses with crosses, and they're so pretty. Uh Uh-uh. The cross was an ugly, ugly thing. And it represents all that was wrong with humanity and all that's wrong with you and all that's wrong with me. And when we go and look at the cross and see there the Son of God hanging on the cross, we begin to realize how terrible complaining and rebellion and murmuring against God is. We realize what the price that has to be paid. And we realize how much, how much God loves us that he was willing to pay the price for us. There we find the grace and the mercy of God so that we might live. But that's not the only way Jesus was lifted up. The Bible also uses that language to talk about Jesus being lifted up from the dead, lifted up from the grave to live again. And there, once again, we are called upon to look upon that lifting up and to cry to God in faith. You know, in our way of thinking and in our experience, death conquers life. All of us experience that. We've experienced that with those that we love. We see them living and vibrant, and then death comes and death wins. But the lifting up of of Jesus out of the grave says, no, in God's story, life conquers death. And therefore, as we're called upon to look at the Jesus who has been lifted up from the grave to live again, we are called upon to live our lives in faith, knowing that this is not all there is. This is not going to be the end of it. We're going to live forever with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The third way that lifting up is used in Scripture is that Jesus was lifted up into the heavenly realms. And there he stands as our mediator, as our savior, as the one who cares for us and strengthens us. 
And this is maybe the hardest one for us to look at. It's the hardest one to get in mind. You know, so often we catch ourselves saying, Jesus was, or when Jesus lived. But the lifting up into the heavenly realm says no. You never say Jesus was. You say Jesus is. And because he is there in the heavenly realms, then we too know that every step we take can be with him. That he does care about us. He watches over us. He forgives us. He loves us. He walks with us. He strengthens us. And whenever we run into the perils of life and those snakes bite, we lift up our eyes and realize that there is one with God who is willing to give himself for us and who lives now so that we might live. The book of Romans says that the death of Christ saved us. His life gives us life. This is a pretty amazing story, isn't it? To remind us of all of these things. I want to leave you with the encouragement that this story brings to me. Through every step of your life, through every event that's going on, through your mistakes, even in your joys, don't forget to look up. Let's stand and sing.